Hey everyone, we gotta revise and resubmit, so we're giving it another go with Season 2. Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about surviving in the pre-apocalyptic hellscape of the Academy. In each episode, we share self-care techniques and talk about surviving in academic careers. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear and want to support our show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Got something to say? Let us know on Twitter, at SurvivingPhD, or on Facebook. Uh, I'm Zach, I'm an adjunct. <laughs> oh, I'm Rachel, and I'm a postdoc. I'm Kristen, and I am glad to be here. You know what? I was just so like excited looking at your beautiful faces on Skype right now that I totally forgot it was my turn to talk. That's okay. I miss I'm you guys. Excited I miss you. To be, I'm excited to be. I've missed you too. How have you been over the break? I've been sick. So my voice might sound a little weird today, but I'm starting to finally feel better. And um, hopefully I'll continue to be on the up and up. But I had a lovely holiday despite being ill. But what about you guys? You've been sick forever. I know. I've been sick since um, about the middle of December. And now we're recording in the middle of January. It's quite can sad. You, can you tell the listeners what you're sick with? Listeners, <laughs> I'm a PhD graduate, married, not such a spring chicken anymore. And I have mono. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the joke practically writes itself, right? You got married and then you got mono. Oh, I well. know. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> well, you know Obviously, what? she kissed a guy for the first time. I did. It was a magical experience. I didn't expect that he had gotten <laughs> mono from Shelly down in room, um, homeroom number 203. Yeah. Just kidding. Well, I would like it to be known that Zach and Kristen do no, not have mono. Yes. You do not get it from smooching us. And Just... I haven't been smooching anybody but my cat and occasionally my husband because he doesn't have mono. So we're not going to give him mono. The plot <laughs> Kristen, how are you? I am well. I feel like I have not gotten much of anything done this break, which was really convenient yesterday when we got... 20 inches of snow it's like insane are you guys are you still snowed in Kristen? because we're actually all on skype right now trying to record this episode because we can't get to each other i know so i have uh i shoveled behind my car and then i helped a neighbor shovel out and i'm just not brave enough to try to like get out i don't think i'd be able to get out of my parking lot or Mm. get back in so i think i could but um yeah. What about you, Zach? Well, I had a really great break. I visited three different cities in three different weeks, only got sick once, and it was food poisoning. Oh, no. So it was a really terrible 48 hours, but it was over in 48 hours. Aww. Oh, I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah, this has been an interesting break. I did get to travel a bit, but traveling when you're kind of ill is not fun. And, yeah. uh, Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. One of the things I think uh, that being uh, on break as a graduate student continually drives home is that, you know, being on break is not the same for us. It's not actually a break. Like we 
we stop being in school and then can get confronted with all of the other adulting that, that has to happen in our lives. Oh yeah. That was definitely made for an interesting break this year because, you know, after being a student for so long, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I worked every day. I mean, the university was campus was technically closed at 1 PM on Friday, this past, uh, Friday. And I was still working, you know, um, it's interesting not being a student anymore and having that transition. Right, Zach? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, at you, Kristen. Is this your first, is this your first like non-student break? For Uh, me? Yeah. No, uh, because I took some time off in between. between I mean, I had been, I went right through my master's to my PhD. So since, yeah, since I started my master's, yeah, other than summer. You know, but I graduated and started working right away. Uh, so as part of our new season, we managed to uh, secure some funding for uh, an, an intern. We have a new GA uh, for the podcast. It's someone who uh, <laughs> prof- our friend Professor Julian calls terribly ordinary and very honest. So why don't we uh, let him introduce himself? <laughs> My name is Chad Thaniel and I am a student at your university. I study and I read things. I can't wait to learn more from all of you and take my career to the next level. Wow, Chad Thaniel, it's so nice to have you on board. Such a chipper. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm so excited I... to have someone like set up our computers and our recording equipment for us. All three mics that we have. <laughs> so I guess he'll be joining us uh, periodically throughout the semester. Uh, to assist us in our various podcasting endeavors. And hilarity. Okay, listeners, we have a great sponsor for you today. By the makers of ink and laser printers, today's episode is brought to you by staplers. Did you bring a stapler? Do I need to staple this paper before turning it in? Never go without the most simple yet necessary of office tools, a miracle invention for all your paper fastening needs, also capable of creating massive headaches if you go without. Staplers, staple something today. Oh my God. I always carry a stapler in my backpack. Because people a- do not staple stuff. <laughs> I know. Ooh. If I had a dollar for every paper that ever got turned into me that just had like the dog ears at the top, I wouldn't have student loans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Screw dollar. I've been like counting points off when students turn in papers oh, that are not Oh, you're harsh. Say, is that policy on the syllabus? It is. Glad you asked, Zach. <laughs> so today's episode is about... Syllabus, the syllabi, the syllabus, the syllabino, the syllabus. (laughs) I'm interested. Did you guys read all of your syllabi as undergraduates? Religiously, yes. Did you read it all as grad students? It had highlights. It had notes. I kept track of things. I didn't do go that far, but yes, (laughs) I did. I went that far too. I was one of those people who like took notes on the syllabus like the first day as the professor was going over things and like, oh yes, yes, mm-hmm. and then I would rem- see them later and be like, I have no idea what that meant, but I still read the syllabus. <laughs> this probably explains how we ended up where we did. True. I really don't understand who these people who do not read them are. I think that's why like the joke among like you know professors and instructors is it's on the syllabus, right? right? Like because all of us read them. 
as undergraduates with like a fine tooth comb. You're right. And so we just expect the same behavior of our students today. I guess I was so afraid of like not turning something in or like losing any points that like, of course, I read the whole entire Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. So obviously all of us have had time to teach and we've taught classes before. So have you thought about, you know, this like long held belief that like students are not reading the syllabus? Have you thought about how you how has that changed the way that you plan syllabus syllabi? Oh, yeah. So for me uh, and now I'm going to have to change it because I'm giving away my big secret. Uh, But for me, your students are not like listening to this podcast. They're not like, okay, okay, fine. You can freely take this from me. No citation needed. But I put a, a bullet point on the last page that says, congratulations, if you have read this far, uh, send me a picture of a pug, and I will give you an extra credit point. And, I've, and this, despite in two different places earlier saying there is no extra credit in my class, that is the only exception. The only time I ever give extra credit is when someone sends me a picture of a pug because they've read the entire syllabus. Okay, well, then I'm curious, what is the average... Pugging that you received. <laughs> what is the average amount of pugs you receive every semester? Uh, in a class of, let's say, in a class of 30, there's usually like two. Oh, wow. Yeah. At least you get two little cuties in your Im- yeah. email inbox. Yeah, and I think I did a class of 150 and I got like five to seven, something like that. This is a change, too, because I feel like when I was an undergrad, and I, I blame cell phones, so I have, like, a rant about cell phones. I'm sure it'll be come up in a couple minutes. But I think when, like, you came to class and you, like, met a friend and you had to chat and you didn't have something to, like, play with, like, you were more likely to tell, like, the people around you. So, like, I feel like I would have read it and been like, oh, look, there's an extra credit point. And I would have, like been chatting about that with other people the fact that it's only two people it's like you're not even talking to anybody else in your class like what is happening yeah i would have shared that with like all of my friends i i love that i might steal that zach (laughs) thanks except for i don't know if it would be pugs i'll have to think of a cute little adorable dog to have people email me pictures of pomeranians they're cute so how long is a typical solbus for you guys long I'm sorry. I was trying to think. It, it varies. <laughs> it varies, but generally long. Cause so I've gone, this is something I've actually gone back and forth about, about whether or not you should have as much information as you can in the syllabus. Students aren't going to read a long syllabus, but then when you don't have the information up front for them, like then I don't know. I, I see it as a transparency thing here. Take all of the information Here's a long syllabus. I know it's long, but I don't know, probably seven, eight pages, depending on the course. Yeah, I've, I've shared your deliberations on that, Rachel. Um, I have two courses this semester. One is one syllabus is nine pages and the other is five pages. But in each of those, two of the pages are the, uh, the course calendar. So it's not something that they necessarily have to absorb right away. Another two pages, um, is, or maybe a page and a half, is uh, uh, like school policies and stuff. 
So that's something that they'll see in all of their classes. And so really, like the thing that takes up the most is the course description, course objectives, uh, methods of evaluation, and uh, grading scale. Those are the, the main things that differ uh, in my class. And then I usually have a list of like FAQs or bullet points uh, towards the end, which is where the pug thing goes. Huh. Yeah, I, you make a really good point there, Zach, because I always think of my syllabi as really, really long, but there is stuff like course calendar and um, course policies and stuff like that that are university policies that you can't really avoid. I, I try to only put the stuff that's like really necessary in there, giving them as much information as I can. Like I'm not going to populate their syllabus with um, two pages of guidelines for a writing assignment that I can hand them out later on. I will include a short paragraph description of what the assignment's going to be so that they can prepare themselves. But so I don't like artificially lengthen the syllabus in that way, you know, but I still feel mm -hmm. like I just, I, mine are just really long. I try, I really try to be upfront with students, I guess. What about you, Kristen? I'm curious what you do. My syllabi are very yeah. long. And I, I guess I know that there, I know that there's instructors who like go back and forth and, or like if it's too long, they won't read it. I guess in my mind, I don't really care. I give them everything. Mm -hmm. So I lay out exactly how I want the course to go. If there's assignments, I of course write like little blurbs. I do the course calendar. But I tend to also put the, if I have the assignment descriptions already made, I tend to put them at the very end of the, syllabi, the syllabus. Um, that way, I just, you cannot come back later. I feel like I say this on the first day, but that way it's like, you know, you are looking at this course over 16 weeks. You've got other courses that you're trying to manage over 16 weeks. And I understand that completely. Um, and so by giving you everything, you can choose how best to manage your time. And so it's not necessarily a matter of like, uh, I used to be worried about, oh, they're going to start this final assignment you know, way before they've had enough time to read this stuff to be able to put into the assignment. That is not happening. Everybody's waiting to like the absolute last minute. But on the offshoot that there is a student who's working or has family obligations or who knows something's going to happen in week 12, for instance. And so if they already know what's expected of them for my class, I hope that that makes their life a little bit easier. So you really can't come back later and say, well, I knew that there was assignment at the end, but I didn't know it was going to be five pages. It's like you've literally had this from day one, and I'm being as transparent and open with you as possible. Um, so yeah, mine tend to be hmm. very amen, long. amen to that. No, no, don't leave them any room to, you know, complain or come back with with. Well, you didn't say at at the end. That's why I include small like blurbs for assignments. Um, even if I'm not going to give them the entire assignment guideline, but that's a, uh, that's a really good point, Kristen. Maybe I, I should reevaluate to mm -hmm. see whether or not I'm giving students enough information when it comes to those assignments. These days I give, uh, instead of, uh, page requirements, I give word requirements. And so they'll know exactly how, mm. like, cause then you don't have to worry about margins and spacing mm. and font size. You just say, I expect you to write this much uh, about this topic. And it's right at the top of the syllabus on the second page, you know, so, so they know what they're getting into, but what happens? So what, what's a way that you guys have found to, uh, like when you encounter a student that 
should know something from the syllabus but complains about not knowing it what's a way you've rebuffed them sometimes i ask like uh or like hey that information's in the syllabus have you read the syllabus and they're when they say no and they say well read this portion of the syllabus and then let me know if you have any further questions and usually go they go oh great i had all my questions answered thank you so much and i'm like even though that's the nice part of me, the inside part that doesn't usually, that doesn't come out to students is like, are you kidding me? Like, we've talked about this in class. It was handed on the assignment guideline, and it's also in the syllabus. Why do you have these questions, you know? <laughs> yeah, the internal monologue versus how you treat them, right? Yeah. Usually I, I do, I le- tried to lead them to like, hey, read this page, and then let me know if you have any further questions. But I don't know. Sometimes I, I still want to, like, rage inside <laughs> when, when it's silly questions or, or when it's questions that have clearly been answered, especially when I've taken the time to also talk about them in class and they've been on the syllabus. That's especially frustrating. But I'm curious what you guys do. I feel like mine is going to be an unpopular opinion. Um, this one doesn't really bother me in a way that it seems to bother other mm-hmm. people. So, like, when students, like, ask stuff... Um, it is not like something that really like just annoys me and like catches in my craw, so to speak. So for the most part, I tend to be really transparent. I think even when I talk to students on the first day, like, and I tell them, this is why I put all of this stuff in there. Like the same thing I just told you guys, I tell students that like, this is why I put all this stuff in there and I try to make it as easy to follow. And you know, this is how the formatting works and stuff so that you can skip around where you need to. And so I I guess I'm the reason why I'm torn is I feel like sometimes students will come to you and I've noticed this in different classes. Sometimes students will come to you and ask a question that they already know the answer to because it might be about something else. So for instance, like they might come up and say, you know, oh, I, uh, what were, what were the page numbers on page limit on that assignment? Oh, well, did you read it in the syllabus? I I was expecting, you know, five to whatever, seven pages. Oh, okay. Well, I was thinking about doing, like, I feel like sometimes that's like the gateway question, like something that might be a little bit obvious. Um, We're always encouraging students to come to our office hours. They rarely do. And so sometimes I think they use some of these small questions to test the water and kind of see how you're going to respond. And I know it's different with different colleagues. Like I have some colleagues who say stuff like, oh, my students would never come and tell me that. I would, you know, a student has never cried in my office. It's like, well, they come and tell me stuff all the time. They, that, you know, and that's fine. Like I want them to be, I mean, we teach sociology, Zach and I, and I know, you know, Rachel teaches in the humanities as well. And I feel like, you know, if we're the type of people that they feel comfortable, you know, talking through some of the things in their life, that's fine with me. So that's just not something I freak out about. And I just know that in some cases, it might be about something else. I definitely see, see that as a possibility, Kristen. And like I said, I don't, I don't, that's why I do lead them to the syllabus. Um, I would hate for mm-hmm. a reaction of mine to shut down a student from asking questions, you know. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean I don't want to you know, sometimes flip a table because of the silly questions that I Oh, asked. totally. <laughs> like, I get annoyed by some of that yeah. stuff, too. I'm not saying it doesn't sometimes annoy me, especially when I feel like they're just pushing or, like, kind of nitpicking point-wise. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like if they're, if they're trying to test the water or trying to create conversation with me in some way, 
I'm just going to, you know, be open to that happening. Well, Zach might have a different experience because you are a dude. But, That's true. Or maybe I mean, not. I'm just curious. What do you think, Zach? Well, no, I think Kristen uh, playing the role of therapist to a very minor extent uh, is, is a good <laughs> thing, but it's also something that we shouldn't expect of, uh, you know, graduate level people or professor level people to do like that's beyond the description of our job and our training. Um, and I've not to, it's going to come off as braggy, but I've also had students cry in my office. It's, um, almost like a rite of passage, but it does make me feel like I do, I, like I am accessible that that's happened to me. Um, but in terms of like, students students asking me about the syllabus it usually comes over email and or I, an item that's on the syllabus that they should know and it comes over email and i usually am able to i'm such a i'm such a sucker for my students because i will type out a full response to them regardless of what they email me i am never so trite as to say it's on the syllabus um and then and then that's that uh i feel like i need to harden my skin a little bit because i'm wasting a lot of my time, but, you know, through and through, I'm, I'm much more of a teacher than a researcher. So I, I'm a sucker for my students and I, I do give them a complete answer when, whenever they, whatever the question they ask is. Yeah. So I just want to, I am not trying to play therapist. I'm just saying that I, we constantly tell students that, you know, they should be comfortable coming to us and talking to us and your professor should know your name and they should be, um, familiar with you. I'm saying sometimes students don't know how to like do that. We tell students that, but we really don't give them the tools or show them how that sort of conversation happens. And I think sometimes they have, you know, they find creative ways to have conversations with us. And it's weird. It's like a weird sort of, I mean, I remember being an undergrad and trying to talk to professors and it was like, you just felt like there was this huge power imbalance. And so sometimes I get that we don't get paid professor salaries at this point. But I do think we're kind of in this weird, if you're a graduate student, you're in a liminal space where, you know, maybe they, they do feel sometimes more comfortable telling you stuff than they would a professor. But I still feel like I'm not one to close, you know, myself off to students chatting. If students are like over in their office hour stuff, I'm not like get out. <laughs> but I know I know people who are, who are like, my office hours are five to six and it's six Oh five. I got to go. I guess I'm just yeah. much more giving of my well, okay, time. So maybe playing therapist was not the most apt, uh, uh, you know, turn of phrase, but you're, what you're describing is going above and beyond the description of your job and the call of your duty. So, uh, I, th I think that sh that is something that should be lauded. Um, but it, it, it is also something that I feel like be it is standard. our duty. I don't know. I disagree. Okay. I mean, I think that is our duty. I mean, we're like helping people understand knowledge. And I think for me, it's that knowledge doesn't just stop at like the course content necessarily. And so especially in terms of, I mean, you guys know this in terms of like, you know, none of us are teaching like math, nothing against math professors, but it's not like this is the correct answer in every single case. Like sometimes students want to come and chat through stuff. And, you know, especially like when I teach gender, like people are working through stuff. And this might be, you know, in my opinion, it's like this might be their only outlet. They might 
not feel accepted by their family. They might not feel accepted by their peers. They might be in a new place and not have friends. And so if you go into a class and a instructor is, you know, speaking to you or like telling you something you're interested in, I mean, sometimes it's just helpful to like go and talk to them and say like, yeah, I'm experiencing these things. And it's really validating. And so, yeah, I guess it's not necessarily like our job. I wouldn't be like, that's not in chapter 10. But I do think like, you know, what do you want to get out of your students and what do you want them to gain? And for me, it's like I want them to gain. And I tell them this on the first day. I want them Mm -hmm. to gain first and foremost an understanding of themselves. I want them to sort of, you know, be more self-reflexive at the end of this. And if, if I'm helping you do that, then that's fine. I think the teachable moment sometimes doesn't necessarily just happen within the course. I have students who will email me after the course. I'm sure you guys are like this too, who are like, you know, your course helped me out or, you know, change the way I think about stuff. And I just am always open. Maybe I'm too nice, but I'm just always open. You are too nice, Kristen. But no, that's I why say, I love you. I have to say I, I agree with Kristen. I think it is part of our it is part of what we do. It's part of how teaching it does extend outside of the classroom. And uh, I think this is actually a really interesting gendered conversation that we can talk about another time of is who mm-hmm. is doing a lot of this kind of extra emotional labor. Because no, it, it may not be dictated in what we are meant to do as academics as a role of a graduate student instructor or uh, a professor or um, NTT, you know, or tenure track. Um, But really when you look at it, there's lots of things that we're expected to do that aren't written into those guidelines either. So um, I think this is an interesting conversation. We should, we should have an an episode about. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I smell a a future episode about mentorship uh, coming along at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the totally. informal expectations in the academy that come with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe we should uh, should circle back around to the the meat of this episode because uh, we have on the on our show outlines a uh, question about what are some recent policies you've added or seen in syllabi in recent years. So, uh, what's something that you all have added to your syllabi uh, uh, recently to reflect, you know? Uh, milieu of today so i have on i wrote down just because i know zach hates the word so much um netiquette Ugh, barf i mean it's important <laughs> i just hate the word itself not what it stands for this is one i've seen in syllabus a syllabi before um for online courses that i've taken exactly so i don't feel like this is something that's in every course but um I do put something if I teach online, usually something about netiquette and just kind of reminding people. I'm a very sarcastic person in real life. I feel like it's obvious in my voice most of the time. Um, so I always remind people that sarcasm doesn't translate very well on in print. Um, but I think that the thing that I personally put in every syllabus that might be different than other people is I have a very, very strict cell phone policy. And Zach and I talked about this before. Um, and he was like horrified, but I, I tell students like, this is my one thing. Like there's, I, I'm, it's not like something you have to stumble on. I will tell you what my thing is. Cell phones drive me 
bonkers. I don't care how big the class is or how small it is. You know, I can see you looking at your crotch and cracking <laughs> up. I can see you like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it's so distracting to me. And I like tell students, it's like, okay, like this is what's going in my mind when I see you on your cell phone. If you're playing on it, I think I'm not interesting or you already know this or, um, or I think what's happening in the world. I need to be on my cell phone too. I, it just really distracts me. So I tell students, if your phone goes off in my course, I want you to leave. Just get up and get out. Like you are done for the day. If my phone goes off at any point in our course, you all can get up and leave. Like that's the deal that I, it's never happened. My phone's never gone off. And truth be known, like they're usually so horrified. Like, and I, you know, and like your phone, get up and get out kind of thing on like the first day that when it has happened, <laughs> they all freak out. Like somebody in the front last semester's phone went off. And they're all like, oh, like all of them, like you could see them all getting like super tense. And I just kept going and pretended like I didn't know it. And the girl was like, oh, my God, like just freaking out. I did not wasn't like, get out. But like it was enough of a scare tactic that they like I watched them come in and all turn off their phones and put them away. And it's just like that's my one big thing. It's bolded on. This, my is, this is what I think of Kristen. You know, whenever whenever I think of Kristen, it's like <laughs> rules through fear. <laughs> Remember when you called me nice two seconds ago? Yeah, I think it's really funny, Zach. Well, that's because I'm so scared of you. That's why I called. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, if you have students who like who I've had before, I do feel like I do not rule by fear, but I do threaten pretty good on like this one thing. It's so distracting to me, and that's what I tell them. It's it's more because it distracts me. And then I lose my train of thought. Dude, I can't wait to call you in the next course you teach. <laughs> yeah, but are you teaching the semester? <laughs> They'd probably pay you. Like, it is twelve fifteen. Kristen's course has started. <laughs> oh, it's off. My phone's off. No, trust. I have a really strict uh, cell phone policy in many of my courses, especially ones that include performance or um, writing, where like a playwriting or something like that, where students are having to be vulnerable having to perform having to um do um anything like performance related or, or getting up in front of the class regularly um and I tell my students not only is it not to distract you but also if I see you recording any other student without their consent then we have a Ooh. problem because people are being vulnerable in an that. acting classroom especially if it's non-majors and like if, and so then I, and I'm really, when it comes to respecting each other in those kinds of spaces and creative uh, spaces and classrooms, I'm very strict about, about that. And then, you know, I have students who want to record their final project and then they come up and they're like, Hey, you know, is it, is it okay if we do this? I'm like, yeah. Do you have consent of everyone involved? Yes. Then absolutely. Like, I don't mean to scare you guys, but I am saying, like, you're not going to take a video of someone who is bravely doing a monologue and post it online. Like, that shit's just not happening. That makes sense. And so we're not having cell phones. That's part of it, anyway. Not I, I stand by what you say, Kristen, if it's really distracting as well, but the... Yeah, yeah. Zach. The, okay. What's okay. up? The, so um, is that your, is that your part take of it. on the policy is, is, like, do you have a policy about respect then? 
I do. I actually do. In most of my, well, in recent years, I've included this. It wasn't always something I had in my syllabi, but I've started to include a, a policy on respect, um, especially after, you know, being at the university um, in 2015 in that fall when um, students protested um, and spoke up for the fact that they didn't feel as they would, they were being seen equally on campus and receiving equal treatment on campus and stuff like that. It prompted a lot of conversations in my classrooms about identity. And so since then, I've started to include a respect clause of just saying, hey, you know, we all, we all come from very different backgrounds, whether it's something you can see, um, like your outward appearance or your gender expression or um, kind of different identity, identity markers that live outside of our body, bodies. But there's also ones that live inside when it comes to your religion or your politics or and how you think of things, and none of us are the same. We all come from very unique backgrounds, um, and we should be respecting that rather than judging that and using that as our advantage to, to kind of build a community where we can learn from each other and to learn from each other's experiences, whether mm. um, and to, to give those experiences and, and those ideas value and, and to know that you're valuable. Um, so, yeah, I, and that's something we talk about, especially... Um, it's something I've especially thought of and included in the syllabus since then. And well, I don't think I'll ta- be taking that out anytime soon. Amen, amen to that. I, I, I like it. So, yeah, your guys seems very tuned to the times. Mine's, I guess it's tuned to the times, too, but it's not as, like, much of, like, based on, you know, our big forces of social change in the same way. I added an inclement weather policy uh, to, to my syllabus. It's like okay, here's what happens if we have this giant snow day and you can't make it. Or I actually added this when I was teaching an online class, um, and that for a school that was in a region of the country that regularly got huge snowfalls and power outages. Uh, and and mm. so it was like, okay, here's what happens if your power goes out and you're taking an online class from me. Uh, basically, just email me as soon as your power comes back on to let me know that uh, that you were disconnected from the course, and I'll you know work with you to to make it up, and and of mm-hmm. course that's something like knowing where the students are and what region I can double check to make sure that yeah their power was out, um, or as generally there were mm-hmm. huge outages in the area, so so it's not not something that you know has really caused me any problems, but I, I also have like a content warning. Uh, I teach sociology, so we usually talk about race and class and sexuality and. Um, and those things can often often lead to uh, discussions that are hard for a lot of the students in the class. So I, I put a, I put a warning in my syllabus rather than at the beginning of any any or every uh, class lecture or discussion that hey you should be prepared um, that something real heavy could come up um, and it's totally on you to extract yourself from that situation if you feel like it's going to be very difficult. Uh, email me or come to my office, talk to me about that. If you have to miss it, I will understand. I will accommodate that. Um, but, you know, look ahead, look at what we're going to be covering and be sure uh, that, that you're prepared for the subject material uh, that, that's coming up. Yeah. And I, and I, it's something like on syllabus day, I, I don't necessarily go through the whole syllabus, but that's something I, I make sure to drive home on the first day of every mm-hmm. class is like, it's a sociology class. We're going to cover some heavy stuff. Yeah, I do that too, and I'm glad to hear that other people do that as well. 
So we actually asked some people online, some of our colleagues, uh, what sort of policies that they are putting on their syllabus that's new, or what are they sort of seeing other colleagues put on their syllabi. And so one uh, policy that somebody had suggested was a family-friendly policy, um, which I'm not sure if either one of you guys do this, but they put something along the lines of, you know, if lo if you're a parent and local schools were to close early or have, you know, a weather sort of um, delay, um, if they are uh, expected to help with dependent care or something like that comes up, like a child or, you know, a parent or somebody is sick, um, you know, what to do in those sort of situations which I think it's kind of, it's very smart. It's never anything I th have ever really thought about doing, but I could see where like if I was a working parent or had, especially if, when I taught night classes, I had a lot of non-traditional students in the course. I could see where something like this would have been really helpful. Oh um, yeah, that sounds like a really awesome policy. Yeah, uh, I, th I feel like this is something that I already kind of do that like, you know, if someone says, you know, my kid was sick, can I get the notes? Or, you know, uh, my kid was sick, can I make up this this quiz? Of, of course, of course I would do that. But I think having it in the syllabus, even if it makes the syllabus just that much longer, really does communicate to a student parent that they are welcome in that class, that they belong there. Um, which is something, you know, we're, we're in a point in our, our, uh, a point in our history where, you know, we've started to accept um, you know, non-traditional students uh, and expect them to succeed in college, but we have our, our expectations of faculty have not caught up to uh, allowing student parents and non-traditional students to succeed in the way that we ask of them. So having one of those, one of those uh, policies in your syllabus would, I think, uh, come closer to, to, to matching those two. Yeah, I really like the idea mm. of this policy. And I, I think like you, Zach, I, um, I feel like I act in this way, but to have it in a syllabus is, is, a, is a different, um, it says something different to, about, uh, to those students who may have children or may have other kind of responsibilities that, um, where issues may come up with daycare closing and stuff like that. Um, I feel like I do try to in the beginning of the class talk about to say things like, you know, we're dealing with college students. They're adults. They have lives. Um, so if something is coming up, let me know. Like talk to me sooner rather than later. If you have something that's going to, you know, mess with the schedule, let me know. We can work it out. But this, like I said, this, this is a step further in affirming that um, student parents are welcome in the classroom. And I think it's a great thing. Another thing that someone suggested, which is really great, one of our listeners uh, posted, her name is Terry, suggested having a policy where she will only discuss or allow students to appeal grades within a week of them being posted. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. I love this. I do not have anything like this uh, on my syllabus, but this, I love this. I like that too, because that would mean that, you know, people couldn't grade grub later in the semester. Or to say... Yeah, like week 16, you're going to argue about something yeah. that happened in week three. Exactly. Yeah, love or this. Or like, I really need that A- minus rather than a B plus, so I'm going to go back to every paper in the class and, you know, try to get more points out. So... Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the spirit of this policy. It definitely, uh, you know, is 
designed to save the professor time uh, and to set firm mm -hmm. boundaries, which I think is is important. I wouldn't put, I don't think I would word it quite as strongly in my syllabus. Um, I, I've had students that, you know, suffer from depression or other mental health issues that prevent them from uh, reaching out in, in uh, you know, adequate time period. Uh, so if someone is stricken with, with, you know, depression or PTSD that puts them out of commission for more than a week, uh, this, might be, this might be a little hard on them. Uh, so wording it in a way that there are exceptions to that, but uh, for, for, you know, health and other, you know, family concerns, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, uh, other than that, I like it for the boundaries that it sets that helps the professor and helps us keep, uh, keep from having to, having to deal with the grade grubbers at the end. Another suggestion from Emily, um, another one of our listeners suggested putting the location of restrooms on their syllabus, especially gender neutral or single occupancy restrooms. Um, and I think in some places there's apps for college campuses where you can kind of locate those. Mm -hmm. um, and they also suggested putting your pronouns on the syllabus, which is something I do on all of mm. mine. I do that, that at the end of my emails, but that might, that you're right. That's a good idea to do for the syllabus as well. Mm -hmm. I like that suggestion of restrooms because um, sometimes it may be difficult to find a restroom that you may feel comfortable going into, or even when it comes to lactation rooms. You know, for uh, for student parents um, who may need to to know where if there is a lactation center or a gender neutral restroom in that building, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or a single occupancy restroom um, in that building, or whether or not someone would have to go to pump or to use a restroom in a nearby building, right? Yeah. Do you think really this important policy? Do you think this is something that could be uh, similarly expressed by uh, just providing um, like resources for the LGBT center, student parent center on, on campus? Like maybe not in particularly where the restrooms are, but if you have questions about this, here are the resources on campus that can help you. Would that be would that yeah. fulfill the same the same need? Yeah, I think so. Especially if the if your campus is um, does have those resources and. Um, I would say that would be a suitable kind of solution for that. So then your syllabus isn't growing by five pages for um, resources that have already been carefully curated by wonderful faculty and staff on campus, you know. But at the same time, you know, calling attention to that in your syllabus and saying, hey, these resources are for this. Make sure you go to this website or use this app. That's, that's really, really important. I know in my courses, we sometimes, this naturally comes up when we talk about um, who the buildings were made for. So a lot of times the reason why there's only one restroom per floor in a lot of buildings is because the assumption was that women weren't there <laughs> or anybody else. It was like only a male restroom and that's all you really needed. And so sometimes those are fun, you know, conversations to have and make people think a little bit more. Mm. I was wondering if you guys just briefly, like, on the first day, like, how in-depth do you typically go for in your syllabus? And do you do, like, icebreaker activities or handouts? Or what do you guys do on the first day? Well, I'm in theater, so we do icebreakers all the time. Oh, God. So, yay <laughs> from me on that one. Um, yeah, but, like, what do you do? Are you, like, do your favorite monologue? Oh, no, that's too much pressure on the first day. <laughs> no, depending on the course, but generally... Um, we'll do some kind of 
exercise where we get up and out of our seats where we're moving around a little bit. Nothing too crazy. Just maybe like a quick like sound, pass the sound and movement type thing. Maybe we'll do um, something where um, we have to do some kind of concentration activity on people's names, etc. Just trying to get people to make eye contact with each other, to recognize that there are some other people in the room, all of that, you know? Um, so yes, icebreakers, but when it comes to syllabus, I really try to, I try, I don't always succeed, but I try to keep it at the high points and then say, read this at home. Mm. Yeah. But same high like, points. We go only. through the main things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the assignments. Here's when they're due. Here's your textbook, that sort of thing. But do you guys do icebreakers? I don't really think that I, I, for the most part, I don't do icebreakers. I do hand out uh, like an information sheet. So I want to know their pronouns or if they want to be called something else. Um, so in smaller classes, I will do role, but I'll do last name only. Um, uh, no, nothing like that. I do do something that Zach and I had a conversation about recently and he was like, what? <laughs> I found, I can't find the article anymore. I, I mean, I'll, tr- I'll try to find it for the blog post, but I found an article, I think it was in the Chronicle a few years ago, that an instructor, instead of going over all these, I definitely, of course, say the cell phone policy because I'm crazy about it, but I give students a list of things that I like. I like about them. And so uh, that usually is very well received. So like instead of all these things, these are the things I'd like you to do. So like, for instance... Um, I like when students come to class and have read the material. I like when they make eye contact and almost all of them make eye contact immediately after Mm -hmm, saying that. Of course. Um, you know, I like, I just find that it's like much, uh, much more well received. So a lot of times we give them a list of all the stuff we don't like, all these like course policies and junk and just giving them a list of things that. I look forward to about them sometimes is very helpful. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, this question of uh, going over the syllabus and first day activities, it really varies by the type of class I'm teaching. Uh, Online classes, I actually taught uh, the same online class for about six years. And halfway through that, uh, I actually just put out a syllabus quiz because I was, I was sick of uh, people coming, you know, sending me all those emails and, me being the generous person that responds to each of them with something more than it's on the syllabus. And, and that I, for, I found that that really forced people to read the syllabus. Um, but in terms of first day activities, one of my favorite things to do, uh, and this is definitely specific to my discipline, is I hand out a sur- or I don't hand out a survey, I have them write it on a piece of paper and hand it in, but I ask them a series of five questions. Um, and then I come back to that when I talk about how sociologists view the world and research the world. So I ask them, uh, mm. you know, their age, uh, whether they consider that they're from a suburban, urban, or rural area, um, gender, um, and I'm blanking on the other one, but the final question is, have you ever been in love? And so I know, right? What? It's really, it's an intention grabber. <laughs> and I... I then process those results and I turn it back to them. And inevitably the class, you know, the women report yes to that last answer, that last question way higher than the men. So then I turn around to them and say, well, why do women report being in love at much, having been in love at your age at much higher rates than men? 
then we, you know, that's a segue into starting discussions about gender construction and gender identity. Um, and, yeah. and it's a piece of empirical data uh, to, to have that the basis mm -hmm. of that conversation from. So it's, it's discipline relevant and uh, it's something that, that piques their interest right away. All right, folks, today's uh, second advertisement. Our show is being brought to you today by Superfluous Emails. Do you have an opinion? A single free concert ticket to give away? Or perhaps you just read an article you really like? What to do, what to do? Try sending a superfluous email today. With superfluous emails, dozens or potentially thousands of people will hear your message. Most may not care, but there's always that one or two that will. Cast out aside. Don't worry about your colleagues' bulging inboxes or vibrating phone reminders. Send us superfluous emails and get what you want. So we've decided in this season, rather than do a self-care activity, we still think it's important, but we thought about doing this a little bit differently. So each episode, we're still talking about self-care, but we might bring it to you in a different way. And we've got some pretty hilarious ideas along the way to do this. And so today, since it's a new semester and a new year, I would like us to talk a little bit about what you are doing for your own self-care in 20, spring semester of 2019. Ooh, I have a good one. So, Well, I think it's good because it's the one I picked. So I might be a little you know, bias there. But my goal for the spring, well, it's not just for the spring 2019. My goal for the year is to read 50 non-academic books. Whoa. Shut up. I have that on my really? list, too. Are you doing the Pop Sugar yeah. Challenge? <sighs> Do it. I'm doing the 2019 uh, challenge put out by Pop Sugar. Um, because I wanted to, also with this challenge, I wanted to challenge myself to read things that I wouldn't normally pick up. And this challenge makes you pick a book for um, 40 to 50 different categories. It's 40 if you want to do the normal challenge, 50 if you want to do the 10 additional advanced challenge books. And I have a list of books that I would have, some of which I are, I wanted to read for a while, some of which are new and coming out and I'm excited about, um, some of which I would have never ever picked up, but I saw like suggestions um, by people on, you know, um, I'm on some Goodreads groups and stuff, suggesting these books. And I'm really excited to uh, take on 2019 with 50 new non-academic books. And I've already read two. Oh, that was going to be my follow-up question. So I've just many? been sitting on the couch and reading. <laughs> okay. uh, so mine, uh, being the extrovert that I am, um, I've. Uh, it's not so much a goal as it ha as it is sort of a, a new endeavor. Uh, but I got my sister and her partner and a friend of theirs and a friend of mine, and we're all going to play Dungeons and Dragons together online. So uh, this is sort of a. I guess it's a challenge or a goal is. I've never been a dungeon master before, um, and and uh, yeah, yeah, okay, big surprise. Everybody on this podcast is a huge nerd, especially Zach. Uh, You're the dungeon master of the nerds on this podcast. So I'm going to be dungeon mastering with with four people in the group in three different places, um, and I'm really looking forward to it. And that's I think that's going to help. 
uh, with, you know, be a, a source of self-care for me as I'm a huge extrovert and I love people and I love nerdy things. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Okay, Kristen, I'm curious, what does your year look like for you? So I read Brene Brown's book, one of her books over break. I highly recommend. Um, she had this whole section in one of her books on the word enough and like how we get in habits where like the first thing we think of when we get up is I didn't get enough sleep or I don't have enough time or I haven't worked on this thing enough. Um, <coughs> and so I think I do that. I, I think I spend a lot of my time like doing things, worried about other things. And then I also put stuff that I really want to do off until like some later magical date when I think I'm going to like be better. And so I just decided that I'm, I'm not going to put off the things that I want to do. Like I'll say to myself, like, Oh, well, I, I want to take this trip, but I, I don't want to go until after my PhD is done. And then I'm a professor or until I lose 10 pounds or until I do X, Y, Z. And so I'm really like trying to prioritize my own happiness and do my own things now and not sort of like put stuff off. That's my goal this semester. Bravo, Amen friend. I love that. Should we ask Chad yeah. Daniel, oh, our yeah. new Chad Daniel. assistant? Hey, Chad Daniel, you want to come in here? We've got some questions for you. Okay, Chad. So, Chad Daniel, so we are interested in seeing what you have on the horizon and what your goals are for this spring 2019 semester. I have been watching the Conbury method of cleaning on Netflix and am getting rid of the things that do not bring me joy. I dumped everything in my office on my desk and reorganized. I have discovered that my office mate does not bring me joy, so I relocated them into the hallway. Can you do that, though? Just, like, put them out in the hall? <laughs> Are you questioning Marie Kondo? No. God, no. Nope. Okay. I also threw out anything related to last semester and all of 2018 and most of 2017. I hope this podcast brings me joy. Yeah, I really hope so. Or else we're getting tossed in the trash. Thanks, Chad Daniel, for, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. Thanks. Though I have to say, guys, I've been really, really tempted to uh, dump out all my clothes onto the bed and see what actually brings me joy. So I might have some conversations with Chad Daniel to see how his uh, process went because I kind of want to do the whole thing in my house, too. I feel like if I did that, the reality would be I would only keep pajamas. You know what? Why are you running from your reality, Kristen? Just embrace it. I feel like I'm the only one not watching that show. I'm sorry. I got by next time. I'll I watched two episodes. Get on board, Zach. But Kristen, remember you're enough, and pajamas are enough. Then exactly. So, Thank you're you, welcome, girl. And remember, listeners, you are you enough. are enough, and in. 2019, yeah. you will also be enough then, too. Now. So until next time, keep, keep on, on surviving. surviving. I miss you guys. What? Do you miss me?
Oh, I missed I, you I missed too. You and you, oh. Zach. Oh, I just missed your cats. That's all I really missed. Well, Ginny is being a little crazy butt over there. She's trying to catch a bug or something, so you shouldn't miss her too much. She's not doing anything cute. What happened to your uh, finger, Kristen? Yeah. This? Did you sprain it flipping someone off? I cut. <laughs> I wish I, like, cut it when I was cutting something because apparently I'm, like, an idiot when it comes like, I eat so few vegetables, oh, no. it's like, when I do, I practically cut my finger off. You cut your finger off cutting vegetables? 